Today's sermon text is Ruth 3, verses 1 through 18. It can be found in the Bible in the rack in front of you on page 223. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover your feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle settle the matter today. May God bless the reading of his word. Would you... Pray with me. Father, we do pray that you would show us Christ, that you would reveal your glory through the preaching of your word so that we might find in him refuge and redemption. We ask this in his name and for his glory. Amen. Well, in the history of creative marriage proposals, our passage this morning may, in fact, take the cake. Uh, 
If you were listening as the passage was read, or if this is a familiar book of the Bible to you, I'm guessing you might have some questions about this particular marriage proposal. Uh, I hope to answer some of those questions. I, I doubt that I'll answer all of them. But I want to begin this morning by noting just how strange a passage like this sounds in light of the way that we think of marriage today in our culture. When you think about the advice you hear about finding a spouse, whether it's in our entertainment or maybe even from friends or people you know, the advice often boils down to something, some version of find someone who makes you happy. Right? Find someone who completes you. Right? Or Disney tells us you'll know when it's the right person because you'll just have that special feeling. And apparently from our passage this morning, Naomi missed the memo when it comes to her attempt to play matchmaker here. Right? The very idea of allowing someone else to arrange our marriage just seems bizarre to most of us and even cruel. Right? That is until our kids get to the teenage years and then it sounds like a fabulous idea. Yeah, I, I couldn't help but think of the musical Fiddler on the Roof at this part when I thought of Naomi. If you're not familiar with that, um, the short version is a, a Jewish man is marrying off his three daughters and he wants to stick to his own traditions. And so along with a matchmaker, he wants to arrange marriages for each of them, but they want to go in a different direction. Right? They want to follow their heart. And in the in the story, it's a sign that the times are changing. My point in bringing that up is not to say that we should go back to that arrangement. Right? And our youth at this point say amen. It's the first time they've said it. Right? It's simply to acknowledge how strange and how different a story like this can sound to us. Okay, But as we'll see here in chapter 3... Okay, again, I'm not commending that, or I'm not necessarily commending everything here, and we'll see in just a second. But as it turns out, looking out for the interests of others and not only yourself is actually a good way to think of marriage, and not just marriage, but life in general. We're going to see how the Lord uses this very, very unusual marriage proposal to bring about His purposes of redemption. So this morning we're in chapter 3, and I'm going to follow basically what Corey has been doing in terms of thinking of the book of Ruth in four different acts with the four different chapters. So this would be act 3 of the book of Ruth and this story. And this particular act has three different scenes in it, okay? So act 3, three different scenes, but before we jump into scene 1, let's just Make sure we're caught up to speed in terms of the background and context in case you weren't here, in case you've forgotten. This story about Naomi and Ruth and a man named Boaz. Okay, remember Naomi and Ruth have returned from Moab to Naomi's hometown in Bethlehem. In Moab, this forbidden land for many Israelites, they have both lost their husbands and 
Naomi's case, she's also lost two sons. And last week we read that they just happened to run into a man named Boaz, who just happened to be a redeemer in Naomi's line. Boaz shows kindness to Ruth, even though she's a Moabite. Right? And so things are on the uptick in chapter 2. Unusual kindness from this man named Boaz to these poor widows, Naomi and Ruth. Right? A great short-term solution. But this can't go on forever. Right? Naomi knows they need a long-term solution here. Right? They can't provide for themselves. Yes, Boaz is a great blessing in terms of what he's providing here as Ruth gleans in his fields and he just lavishes her with all that she needs and more for both Ruth and Naomi. But long term, they're going to need something more secure. This is where we get to our first scene, this in chapter three, what I'm calling a risky plan. Okay, so scene one here in act three, I'm calling a risky plan here. Naomi is pushing all her chips to the middle of the table. Okay, she calls Ruth over in light of everything that she's just seen. And she says, it's time to act. The Lord seems to be blessing us with this guy named Boaz. We cannot miss this opportunity. And then this is where Naomi shares with Ruth her plan. And calling this plan risky, as you just heard, is actually an understatement. Right? But let's not miss here in this plan Naomi's motivation. Look at verse 1. Okay, it, may, it may sound like this could be kind of selfish because Naomi does stand to benefit from this plan. But notice what she says. She says, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may go well with you? Right? Who's Naomi looking out for here? For Ruth. She's seeking rest for Ruth. And by that, she means I'm seeking a husband for you because you need provision and protection. Right in the society that they're in right here, there's there's really not many other options. You can't just put your resume out there. Right. What's Ruth going to get? Right. As a Moabite, particularly, what are her options? Now, Naomi knows we, we need a long term solution here. We need you to have security and provision more than just some charitable handouts. Remember, chapter one, Naomi was urging Ruth and Orpah. Do you remember when she told them to go back? Right? And she said this, she said, the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Right? She didn't know how this would all turn out, that she would actually be a part of this. But at the time, she said, no, go back to Moab and find a husband, find rest. She thought their only hope was back in Moab. She had no clue that a guy named Boaz would even be an option. And now she must be thinking, could, could this really be the Lord's answer to our prayers? As we make our way through Ruth, we see Naomi's faith little by little rising. So she lays out this plan. 
She knows where Boaz will be. The end of chapter two, we read that the harvest season is over. Now it's time to winnow the barley. This was a process where they would throw, throw up the barley and the breeze would blow through. It would separate the chaff, the part that wasn't used. They would do all of this at the threshing floor. So Naomi knows that's where Boaz is going to be, Ruth. If you want to find him, that's where he's going to be. So I want you to go down there to him. Right. And as she lays out this plan, the tension in this story starts to ratchet up. Right. This is this is the climax of the book of Ruth. So notice what she tells Ruth to do here in verse three. She says, wash, anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. Okay, the washing and anointing here would have been a probably just a preparation here at this time for what a, a future bride would do here. Okay, so as you're reading this story again, the tension is rising. Wash, anoint yourself, go down to the threshing floor, right? A not so not so subtle attempt to make herself attractive. Right? As if that weren't enough in terms of tension. Notice too, she says, Don't make yourself known to him. Wait until he's finished eating and drinking. Okay, I don't think she means here wait until he's drunk. But she does want him to be in good spirits. And she can't have this happen while everybody's around eating and everybody's listening. She says, wait till all that's over. Wait till he's had a good meal. And then make yourself known. Right? And notice too, this happens at night. Okay, as if, as if it couldn't be any more nerve wracking. Just imagine yourself being Ruth as Naomi's spinning up this plan. It has to be at night because you can't have a Moabite servant girl proposing. Well, Naomi didn't tell her to propose, but you can't have a Moabite servant girl approaching a respected Jewish man like this. Right? So you have all that in this picture. And as if that weren't enough, remember the historical background here. So if you're a Jewish reader reading this later, think of all the things that are in your mind here. Right? The Moabites were the people in Numbers 25 who, who lured the Israelites into sexual immorality. Right? And if you go to back all the way to Genesis 9, the Moabites became a people because of a sexually immoral relationship between Lot and his daughters in which they got him drunk. And she's just said, wait till he gets done eating and drinking. Okay, all of that's in the background here. Okay, red flags are going up if you know your Old Testament here. Right, and to make matters worse, when was all of this happening? Do you remember at the beginning of the book of Ruth? When was this set in the time of the what? The judges. Not a good time, right? Even Ruth was told, don't go in the wrong place, right? Because men may assault you. Names like Delilah come to mind when you think of judges. Right? And, and as if the plan couldn't get more risky, Naomi tells Ruth to uncover his feet. Go lay down at his feet. Right? Well, no one else is looking Lay down at his feet, uncover it, probably so that the breeze would wake him up eventually. But Naomi here is stepping out in faith, but this is risky. Right? Imagine how you would have responded if you were Ruth. You want me to do what? 
I mean, Ruth has no idea this is coming, right? This is not like they put their heads together and, and said, let's see how we can get Boaz to notice me. Right? There, there's no indication in the text at this point that there's this chemistry between Boaz and Ruth. Right? That's how our version of it would go. But at this point, this is just Naomi spinning up a plan. Ruth has to be thinking, you've got to be kidding internally. But notice, or at least that's what we would say, but notice what Ruth says in verse 5. She says, all that you say, I will do. I mean, throughout this story, that's been, that's been Ruth's posture towards Naomi. She's loyal to her. The plan may be risky, but at this point, it's almost as if Ruth is saying, the Lord may just be in this. I'll do what you say if you think this is best. You probably have questions about this form of marriage proposal, so let's just deal with the elephant in the room. This is not the dating or courtship advice that I'm going to give my daughters when they reach the appropriate age decades from now, right? This is, this is not the template I'm going to follow. I'm not going to spin up a plan like this. So what are we to make of Naomi's plan? Right? It's really hard to get around that. First thing I would say is this. In Scripture, and this is just generally true, not just for the book of Ruth, but whenever we read Scripture, God is not always calling us to imitate something that we read. Just because it's recorded here doesn't mean God is saying, all right, you go and do likewise. Okay, just a, that's just a good principle of interpretation of Scripture. Okay, throughout Scripture, God uses imperfect people and imperfect circumstances to carry out his plans. He never commits sin or evil, but he uses sinners to carry out his plans. Okay, so the book of Ruth has a lot to teach us, but it's not a dating manual. Okay, there's no getting around the fact this is an extraordinary situation. Okay, this is in some ways a case of desperate times call for desperate measures. Right, but with that said... I don't think Naomi is asking Ruth here to do something blatantly immoral. Okay, there there is tension here, no doubt. And I think that's intentional. But I think we're supposed to see these characters in a positive light. Ruth is getting Boaz's attention in a quiet way. And Naomi tells her, go lay at his feet. She's not laying with Boaz. She's laying at his feet. Okay, probably the best reason to assume that nothing sinful is being suggested here is just simply the way that in which Roaz, Ruth and Boaz are constantly held out as examples of virtue in this book. Throughout the book, both Ruth and Boaz are portrayed positively. We'll see this more in the next scene, but... I think what we have here is Naomi seeing the Lord's kindness and it gives her courage to act boldly. Yes, it's an unusual plan. No, we probably don't want to duplicate this. But the story that came to my mind from the New Testament was Jesus healing the paralytic. Do you remember that in Mark 2 when the the four friends bring their friend who's paralyzed to Jesus 
And everybody is so crowded into the house that they can't get to him. Right. And so what do they do at that point? Do they go home and say, let's pray that one day in the future, maybe the Lord would open up a door for us to get him to Jesus? No. What they tear open the roof, right? They are desperate to get the man to Jesus. That's what comes to mind here with Naomi. She is desperate to get Ruth the protection and provision she needs ultimately from the Lord. Okay, again, doesn't make the plan not risky, but I think that's what's going on here with Naomi. She was bitter. But now it's as if the Lord's kindness is softening her heart and strengthening her faith. And so she comes up with this bold plan. Okay, but let's be honest, even with all that said, this plan could go south pretty quickly. Right? We're left wondering at the end of this first section here, scene one, we're left wondering, what if the wrong people see Ruth? Right? Will she get labeled a seductress? I mean, she's a Moabite after all. She doesn't have a lot in her favor at this point. What if Boaz rejects her offer? I mean, there, there goes all your hope for both Ruth and Naomi. There's no guarantee here that this man from Bethlehem will take this young Moabite servant. Right. And if we're honest in light of all that I've said here and all the te- all that's in the text, we're wondering if we've never read past this point, is something inappropriate going to happen here? And I think the I think the author here of the book of Ruth wants us to feel that tension. Okay, there's a lot at stake here. Ruth could lose her best chance for protection and provision, and Naomi could lose her land, her share in the promised land, by the way. This isn't just any old plot of land. That's why this was such a big deal. To lose your inheritance meant you lost your place in the land of God's blessing. This is where we move from scene one, a risky plan, to scene two, what I'm calling a midnight proposal. A midnight proposal, verses six through 13. After Naomi has spun up this plan, Ruth amazingly follows Naomi's instructions to a T. She gets ready. She goes down to the threshing floor. She waits until Boaz has finished eating and drinking. She goes quietly. She uncovers his feet. Right? If you're one of those people who can't sit still when things get tense in a movie, right? This is the part where you may just walk off to the side or cover your eyes. Right? But I love what happens next. Look what it says in verse 8. At midnight... The man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. (laughs) I mean, I've been awakened by noises, by kids running in, by a large Labrador retriever on my bed. I've never been woken up by an unknown woman at my feet. (laughs) And so Boaz naturally asked, who are you? Right. Again, an indication this is not something like premeditated that he was he was in on and they wanted to kind of find a way to get together. I mean, he's completely taken off guard here, right? He's a righteous man. He is not expecting a woman to be laying at his feet. 
Who are you? And I love how Ruth makes herself known. This fits her so well in this book. She says, I'm Ruth. You're what? Your servant. Right? And, and then comes the proposal we've all been waiting for, except it's not from Boaz to Ruth. Which is, I think, what Naomi expected. Because she told Ruth, she said, go and he'll tell you what to do. Right? Thanks, Naomi. <laughs> he'll tell you what to do. Right? But Ruth steps out here in faith. Verse 9, Ruth says, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. I mean, that may sound odd to our ears. Okay, probably for a lot of us, that wasn't part of our marriage proposal. If you were married, you didn't talk about wings being spread. But this is, this is actually, in this context, a pretty loaded phrase here. It can refer to the outer part of a garment, the wings here. Right. Boaz's garment is really a symbol for his protection and care. Would you spread your protection and care over me? Just another way of saying, would you be my husband, my redeemer? Right. So in one sense, Ruth is just asking for Boaz to take care of her. But we also know from the story as a whole that Boaz as a means of the Lord's protection and provision Right. Often in Scripture, we read of the Lord's wings as a place of refuge and protection. Psalm 57, 1, just one place. The psalmist says this, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge in the shadow of your wings. I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. There's multiple Multiple places like that. But this takes us back to chapter 2, actually, where Boaz said this to Ruth. He's already said this. The Lord repay you for what you've done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Little did Boaz know he would be the Lord's means of providing that refuge and protection. And again, this is where we remember that this story and Peter prayed this earlier, this story is telling a much bigger story. This kinsman redeemer here of Boaz is pointing us to a greater redeemer in Christ. Right. And this is why the book of Ruth is so relevant and such good news for us today. We're not simply learning about the events of a random, obscure family in Israel centuries ago. We're getting a glimpse of the Lord's kindness and mercy even today. As we think of Boaz's response here in this passage, Ruth has just made this bold proposal. But as we think of Boaz's response here, I want to highlight three ways in which his response and his character points us to Christ in this passage. Okay, three ways. First, I want you to notice the depth of his compassion, the depth of his compassion. Okay, again, remember who Ruth is here. Not just an outsider, but a Moabite, not just a Gentile, but a people that was despised by Israelites, not a good pedigree. She's poor. She's a widow. She has nothing to offer Boaz except possibly staining his reputation. She no, has no standing in Israel. She's a lowly servant. 
And yet notice in verse 10 how Boaz responds to her proposal. May you be blessed by the Lord, my what? My daughter. Remember what Ruth said? Spread your wings over me. I'm, I'm your servant. And yet he calls her daughter, right? There's a tenderness there. There's compassion in his words. Instead of looking on Ruth with disdain, his heart goes out to her. Look at verse 11. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I'll do for you all that you ask. Right? This is Boaz's way of saying, I'll take you as my wife. I'll provide for you. I'll protect you. Don't fear. Right? And I love that he tells her not to fear. I mean, humanly speaking, Ruth had every reason to fear here. Think of how many times in the Gospels Jesus has to tell his disciples the, th- the same thing. Don't fear. Don't fear. Don't fear. Every time he comes on the stage in their sin, they have every reason to be afraid. But he says, don't fear. Just trust me. Boaz points us to a savior who isn't turned away by our helplessness. Jesus sees our sin. He sees our weakness and it elicits his compassion. And if you're not a Christian and you're you're here this morning, I hope you'll hear this as an invitation. I hope you'll you'll hear this story and see a savior Who says, your sin is not too great for my mercy. Whatever that sin may be. However unworthy you may feel of him. I hope you'll see in this story a Savior who invites you because he feels compassion for sinners. We'll see more about that in a minute. But regardless of where you're at, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, this story should remind us here of the depth of Christ's compassion. That's the first thing Boaz Shows us number two, the second way he points us to Jesus is by the purity of his character, the purity of his character. We know based on scripture as a whole, Boaz was not sinless. Okay, Romans 323, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Boaz is a son of Adam, just like you and I. He had sin. He had weaknesses. But that's not what this story is shining a light on. It's highlighting his righteousness. He's called a worthy man, a man of standing. He acts blamelessly. We see this in a number of ways here. I'll I'll just mention a few. But I think it's interesting here that Boaz tells Ruth there's actually someone else in line. Right? He had enough integrity to tell her that. He's concerned to keep God's law. He knows what the word says. He says, okay, I'll do it for you, but just know I need to check because someone else is in line before me. So there's one way. We also see his integrity in terms of what didn't happen during this midnight encounter. Just think about the fact here. If Boaz had done something inappropriate, what recourse would Ruth have had in this story? She can't get on social media and let people know. There's no lawyers to go get. Who's going to believe this young Moabite girl? Right? They would have said, we knew it all along. Shouldn't have trusted her. We shouldn't have let her gleaned in our fields. Right? But both Boaz and Ruth show integrity. Here we see the purity of his character. Right? We also see the purity of his character. Think about what attracted him to Ruth. 
Again, the, the text here doesn't say that Ruth was really, really attractive and he just couldn't keep his eyes off her. Right? That's how the, our movie version of this would go. But this, the text actually doesn't say anything about that. What attracts him to her, he says, is he says all the townspeople know that you're a worthy woman. He sees in Ruth the Proverbs 31 woman. Right? And that goes to show not only her character, but his. Verse 11, everyone knows that you're a worthy woman. Right? Again, the point is not that physical attraction in marriage is wrong. Go and read the Song of Solomon if you want to find out more about that. But Boaz's affection runs deeper than feelings and appearances. I love Proverbs 31 where it says this about the virtuous woman. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. That's what caught Boaz's eye. The purity of his character. Right, And this is important as we think about who Jesus is, who Boaz points us to. Because we don't just need any redeemer, we need a righteous redeemer. We need one who can trade his righteousness for our unrighteousness, his obedience for our disobedience. First Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That's the kind of redeemer we need. That's the kind of redeemer that Boaz points us to. Okay, so that's the second way that Boaz points us to Christ, the purity of his character. Number three, we see it in the costliness of his redemption. The costliness of his redemption. Okay, it's easy for us to forget in this story that this wasn't cheap for Boaz. Okay, yes, Ruth is... Is taking a, a big risk here. There's a lot on the line for her. But for Boaz, this wasn't easy. Okay, we, we may have this picture of him finally, after decades, finding his soulmate, after years of waiting, right? And so he's glad, and this is all easy, and they just walk off into the sunset. But actually, as we'll see next week, this was extremely financially costly for Boaz. In fact, the guy who was next in line, if you've read ahead, you remember why he refuses. He says, I, I can't take them. That's going to impair my own inheritance. Right? It's not a financially wise decision. Right? Boaz isn't just agreeing, yeah, I'll marry Ruth, I'll take her. She seems like a great girl. He's agreeing to provide for her, protect her. He's also agreeing to provide for Naomi and buy her land and perpetuate her husband's name. Right? This isn't all just adding to his own portfolio. This is a costly redemption. Right? It's a good reminder throughout Scripture, redemption always comes at a cost. We see this throughout the Old Testament when there's sin and it has to be atoned for. There's got to be a sacrifice. God doesn't just sweep it under the rug. Redemption is always costly. It's a reminder that the redemption to come in Jesus would be even more costly. Here in the New Testament, God gives His own Son to die on the cross for the redemption of His people. Again, I love how 
Peter puts it. First Peter 1.18, he says this, You were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. That's an infinitely high cost to our redemption. If you're trusting in Christ, this is why your salvation is secure, because you were bought at this cost. We just sang, why this fear? I mean, now why this fear and unbelief? Right? What's our security? It's the fact that the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, was given on our behalf. That's the propitiation that was made for our sin. That's ultimately our security and assurance, is the costliness of this redemption. It's not because we're such great people, but it's because such a great sacrifice was made for us. Again, if, if you're not trusting in this Christ as your Savior and Redeemer, I just want to invite you today to do that, to put your trust in Him. The only way for your sin problem to be dealt with is for this costly redemption to be yours. And it can be yours simply by putting your trust in Jesus. Regardless of what sins you've committed, this redemption is so costly, it will cover them all. If you have questions about that, I'd love to talk with you afterwards or find another member here. Ask them more about what it means to belong to this Redeemer. This is, this is how the second scene ends here with this Costly redemption being offered by Boaz. He promises to redeem Ruth. He says, this other guy is next in line. Right? If I, if he won't do it, I'll do it. But then he tells her, lie down until the morning. And then we are left waiting. The end of scene two. So this sets the stage for the third and final scene, at least of our chapter. Scene three, which I'm calling a hope-filled pledge. A hope-filled pledge. Verses 14 through 18. Okay, between the high drama of the previous night and the resolution of this book to come next week, Lord willing, we have this brief scene, this morning scene. It's kind of a interlude here where Ruth and Boaz both wake up. says it's early enough. They couldn't even recognize one another. It's still dark. Right Again, there's no indication that anything inappropriate has happened here. However, again, because of Boaz's character, he wants to make sure that Ruth's reputation isn't stained. So he, he wants to send her off before people can see. And he says, don't let anybody know she was here. Right, But he doesn't send her off empty-handed. Did you notice that? Hey, before you go, there's something I want to give you. Six measures of barley. Okay, we don't, we're not sure how much exactly that is. The text doesn't tell us. Seems like a lot. Right? And at, at a very practical level, this would have given Ruth a legitimate excuse to be there. Right? She, she was there to maybe get the barley. Maybe people were supposed to think that, but I don't think that's even Boaz's main intention here. Who, for whose sake does he do this? Do you remember? For Naomi's sake. 
Right? I imagine Naomi this night probably had a hard time sleeping. Have you ever had that where you know something big is coming up in the morning? You just can't get to bed. I can't, I can imagine Naomi all night long just sitting thinking of all that could go wrong with this plan, how she maybe could be the one blamed and maybe she ruined it all. Maybe her only hope was gone. So when Ruth arrives home, Naomi asks the, the million dollar question, how did it go? Right? Right, And Ruth not only is able to tell her that Boaz accepted the proposal, but she has a tangible guarantee now with the barley that things will go well. Notice verse, at the end of verse 17, notice how Ruth retells it here to Naomi. Boaz tells her, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Boaz wants to make sure that Naomi isn't worried He's not going to leave her destitute or empty. Again, just a reminder, this isn't only about Ruth, is it? Boaz's compassion extends to Naomi as well. The barley was a down payment of more to come that she wouldn't remain empty forever. Hey, throughout this book of Ruth, we've seen these themes of emptiness and fullness show up again and again. Remember when Naomi originally came back from Moab, she said this, I went away full, but the Lord brought me back what? Empty. She went away with a husband and two sons, and she came back without a husband, without sons, and without food. But do you remember at the end of chapter 1 what time it was when she came back to Bethlehem? It was, time, it was the time of barley harvest. Right, a sign that things were going to get better. The Lord was planning to restore her to fullness. We'll see more about what that fullness entails next week. But for now, Naomi's experience is a good reminder as we close out this chapter. We cannot base our hope on our present circumstances or what things look like on the outside or how we feel. The God we serve is able to restore us fully, despite our sin, despite the trials we face. And in many ways, we're, we're like Naomi in this scene here as it ends. As Christians, we have the promise that our redemption is secure. And yet, there's still a time of waiting. We don't see the fullness of it. But all you have to do is look around you. For some of you, even in your own lives, you feel that right now. There feels like emptiness or you're walking through a trial and you think, is this really all there is? Right, but here, God doesn't want to leave us guessing in the same way that Boaz didn't want to leave Naomi guessing. Right? Boaz sends Ruth back with a, a pledge of barley, but God gives us something much greater. He gives us his own spirit, which he calls a down payment, a guarantee of our future resurrection, our future redemption. Naomi's story here reminds us to wait and hope. That's why Boaz says, I don't want you to go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. I don't want her worried and anxious and fearful. Here, take something back. Show her that it's going to be all right. God does the same thing for us with His promises and with His Spirit. 
He says, you're in a time of waiting. Your redemption is secure. If you're trusting in Christ, your redemption is absolutely secure. But he doesn't leave us just guessing. He says, I'm going to give you my own spirit to live within you as a down payment for that day. I'm reminded with Naomi's example, the the song came to mind and we'll close with this. The song, Be Still My Soul. In the third verse, it says this. Be still, my soul, when dearest friends depart, and all is darkened in the veil of tears. That was Naomi's story in chapter 1. Then shalt thou better know his love, his heart, who comes to soothe thy sorrow and thy fears. Be still, my soul, thy Jesus can repay from his own fullness all he takes away. Let's close by asking the Lord to give us this kind of hope as we wait for the day when our redemption is complete, when our kinsman redeemer returns to complete what he started. Would you pray with me? Father, we confess that our faith is often weak, that we Doubt your promises despite the grace that you have shown us, the undeserved grace and mercy that you have shown us in Jesus Christ. We thank you that his redemption extends to Moabites, Gentiles, to sinners like us. And we ask this morning that you would strengthen our hope in your promises. Help us to see like Ruth that your kindness and your mercy are sufficient to cover our sin and to cover our weakness. And help us to see with Naomi that your fullness is more than enough for our emptiness. We thank you that in Christ we have a sufficient Redeemer. Make us a reflection of his mercy and kindness to the world around us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.